Hello everyone, this is Adam Payne, political editor at Politics Home. I'm stood outside Parliament and in the last 15 to 20 minutes or so, Liz Truss has announced that she is going to resign as Prime Minister. That resignation comes after just 44 days in office. Now, the episode we recorded earlier today took place before her resignation. Hence this little message to you all. However, the conversation we had was still very interesting, still very relevant in regards to what on earth happens next. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Rundown, the weekly podcast from Politics Home. This week, your host is me, political editor Adam Payne. And here with me, I am very pleased to say to untangle this very complex and potentially pivotal week are two brilliant guests. Firstly, we have Dr. Catherine Haddon, Senior Researcher at the Institute for Government Think Tank, who I'm sure will help us make sense of a truly surreal few days in politics. And we also have Jack Sellers, a former SPAD who recently worked in Downing Street, and for the ex-Welsh Secretary Simon Hart, who in his last act before leaving Westminster politics worked on the Rishi Sunak leadership campaign. Now, before we get into this absolute bin fire of a week, um, Jack, you recently joined law firm Porgus Goodhead in a comms capacity. Are you enjoying it? Um, and in light of this week, do you miss working in government? Um, uh, I'll answer your first question uh, first. Yes, I'm enjoying it. I've only been there 10 days. But in answer to your second half, do I miss the government after everything that's happening over the past 10 days? <laughs> um, I don't think miss is the right word. Um, uh, I'm actually uh, happily observing from a distance. That's the best way to put it. Um, it's a it's a bit chaotic, but I thought I thought you know when I worked in government, I worked through a pandemic. I worked through the Brexit deal towards the end, um, and then there was obviously all the sort of controversy, Partygate, Owen Paterson, all that sort of stuff. And I thought that was chaotic, but this is just making that seem quite peaceful actually. But I've said I, I find people who in this world, um, I think you'll both agree, you this is not so. It's not around your job. You don't do it because of your job anyway. You're interested in current affairs. You're interested in politics of the day, all that sort of thing. So you you do this anyway out of habit. Out of, normally, you know, you'd sit you'd sit at home in the evening and do it anyway regardless so uh um I, d- I don't think i'll ever unplug from this world if i'm honest with you um uh but you know this is part of my job in the new uh, new uh, sort of law firm um yeah, pogus goodhead like you said so uh yeah so there's no need to avoid it all so um Catherine, i'm going to come to you in a second but i think it's probably useful we're sat here about quarter past 11 on thursday morning i'm just going to sort of run us through where we are and what's happened um, in the last 24 hours or so. So yesterday, also known as Wednesday, um, Suella Braveman resigned as Home Secretary, dealing another big blow to Liz Truss's very fragile leadership. In her resignation letter, Braveman admitted breaking the rules by sharing an official document that she shouldn't have. But in her letter, she also heavily criticised the Prime Minister and suggested that she should resign. Now, she was quickly replaced by Grant Shapps, who just so has it, has been one of the most vocal critics of Liz Truss's premiership these past few weeks. And last night, Wednesday night, all hell broke loose, really, in Parliament when 33, I think, Conservative MPs refused to vote with the government on a fracking motion tabled by the Labour Party. Now, there was extreme confusion over whether Liz Truss was treating the vote as a confidence vote in her government, leading the chief whip, Wendy Morton, to seemingly announce her resignation on the spot as the vote was um, taking place. Her deputy chief whip, Craig Whitaker, was also absolutely furious, according to people there. 
and there were suggestions that he had quit too. Now, and stay with me, later in the <laughs> evening, number 10 confirmed that Martin and Whitaker hadn't actually resigned. And in a WhatsApp message to journalists at half past one this morning, i.e. Thursday morning, confirmed that the fracking vote was tantamount to a confidence vote. However, this morning at about 8am, I think, the Transport Secretary Anne-Marie Trevelyan appeared to contradict that position, saying the fracking vote wasn't a confidence vote. Meanwhile, the number of Conservative MPs who are publicly calling for Liz Truss to resign just weeks into her premiership is growing. We use the term drip-drip often uh, in, in political journalism, and I believe the number's 14 before we started recording. So, Catherine, as someone who studies government, who recommends how it can do better, how it can perform better, what on earth have you made of the past few days and what, and what, what we've seen? Well, I'd like to say I'm speechless, but I'm on a podcast, so that would be no help to us all. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I'm just exhausted from it all. Uh, I wish I could turn my phone off. On to, I was going to have a nice, quiet evening last night until suddenly um, the Whip's office suggested that the vote was going to be a confidence motion. So I spent the afternoon pointing out that that means if you lose it, you either resign in favour of an alternative government or you call a general election. Are you really sure you want to do this? But... Then we weren't sure it was a confidence motion um, and that con confusion continued until uh, the Minister of State at um, bringing the debate to an end said that number 10 had said this wasn't a confidence motion anymore. Um, and that's the point at which chaos reigned because all these MPs who had been told you must vote this way or you know, you'll lose the whip, um, they weren't really emphasising you'll bring down the government but that would have been the logic of it. Um, suddenly we're like, well, what does that mean? Are we or are we not? And I think that's the point at which uh, the deputy chief whip and the chief whip obviously also lost their minds and uh, supposedly stand up rows with the prime minister in and around the lobbies and everything else that we saw last night. So it's it was chaos. It was chaos in terms of the handling of it. It was, you know, big question mark about whether really that was a battle you needed to pick with your MPs but all it has done is exacerbate the problem that already existed which is large parts of the Conservative Party who you know seemingly don't want Liz Truss to remain as Prime Minister and yet cannot figure out who they want in place and how to get there um, and if those numbers are significant then it does call into question whether or not this government can function. So this is really fundamental stuff. This isn't just a political blowout um, that you can then sort of softly move on from. And just two questions for both of you. So the first question, the initial decision to make the fracking vote a mm. confidence vote. What do you think was going on there? Why do you think that initial decision was taken? And secondly... We've had this extraordinary breakdown in communications that you alluded to between seemingly number 10, the whips, ministers of whether it is a confidence vote. What does that speak to? And that's for both of you to sort of attempt to get your teeth into. Yeah, so on the first one, I mean, the issue is not fracking per se, but the fact that Labour, the way they were doing it... Uh, were taking control of the order paper and obviously this harkens back to the Brexit days where the government sort of lost control of the order paper and you know there's a lot of deep-seated uh, frustration about what happened then and not wanting it to, to occur again. So that was supposedly the logic behind the whip's office sending out this message in yesterday afternoon saying this is tantamount to a confidence motion and you know effectively threatening conservatives with um having the whip removed stopping being conservatives if they 
if that went through. So I've some sympathy for the fact that the mechanism was just a sort of, you know, um, was just too far for them to allow. The, the problem is that it, the issue, when you've got a Conservative Party that's fractured on all sorts of issues from, you know, where to make public service cuts, what to do with taxes, planning consent and so forth. Obviously, fracking has turned into a big issue, but actually out there, you know, amongst the, a lot of the public... There's not a lot of public consent for it. It is clearly totemic uh, for a lot of Conservative MPs. They do feel very strongly about it and are very concerned what their constituents think. So um, why you would make fracking the sort of um, point on which your premiership lives or dies is, to me, seems a bit sort of illogical. So I do think there must have been different strategies you could have approached in terms of coming up with an amendment that actually you know, bought off those rebels and, and alleviated their concerns whilst dealing with the the attempt to take over the order paper. I can't even remember what the second question was. That's so. all right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you're forgiven. But Jack, obviously, when you were in government, you would have been, if not involved in, but privy to these sort of conversations about strategy, about how we approach this potentially tricky um, issue in Parliament. And now the dust has somewhat settled. Um, what's your assessment of what happened the government's thinking and I mean what would you have advised if you'd if, you, if you'd been there I mean let, firstly let's let's play it straight the Labour have played played a bit of a blinder here actually for you know for years this these sort of mechanisms haven't been successful for Labour and um, they've managed to get the odd sort of vote in where then they can you know campaign against local Conservative MPs and say you know this MP voted against a pay rise for nurses or whatever yeah. that's what we normally see um but for the first time you know in the time I've worked in government um in the last three years I've actually seen it be used to completely dismantle the party in a way um it was chaotic last night but if I can answer your second question earlier um, just about the sort of disconnect between number ten, the whips, which caused to this breakdown afterwards. Um, from, from what you know, from what I've been hearing over the past few days, Wendy Morton, chief whip, has had a bit of a busy week. Obviously, since the fallout of the quasi sacking last Friday, um, lots of unrest among among MPs even before um, even before yesterday, as we know. Um, and Wendy Morton, as far as I'm aware, has been meeting MPs privately, trying to get them on side, trying to alleviate concerns, uh, you know, different concessions to different people, trying to get them in line with the government. Um, so I imagine she's had a very, very stressful few days being the uh, the soundbox for the Prime Minister, mm. if, if anything, the punch bag. Um, it's probably the better word. Um, so for me, last night, I feel there wasn't going to take a lot for that sort of relationship to break down and for Wendy Morton just to throw her hands in the, in the air and say, you know, I can't do this any longer. Yeah. So, you know, like these simple sort of mistakes, they do happen in government. We've seen it loads of times over the years um, when the minister closing the debate was told that it wasn't a, wasn't a confidence vote or whatever. Um, these things do happen. But just given the build-up to where we were last night with Wendy Morton being out there, being the punch bag, being stressed to the hilt, um, not being informed of it herself, it makes it, it put yourself in her shoes. Yeah, it makes you absolutely. think. It makes you think. What's the point? What, what am I doing this for? What am I going for this stress of probably not sleeping much this week to uh, to do it for? Um, but it wasn't pretty scenes for the party. Whatever happens, and you know, from a political point of view, I was saying to Catherine beforehand. You know, Chris Bryant has been out there now making absolute waves off the back of this. And uh, me being a Welsh person, I'm, uh, I'm I'm never fond of seeing Chris Bryant on the news <laughs> tearing into the party, which uh, he jumps at every opportunity. But um, but rightfully so in many ways. You know, the scenes, some of the pictures we've seen following it last night is uh, chaotic. Um, yeah. And I mean, the Charles Walker interview last mm. night has been doing the rounds. Um, it kind of reminds, I've been saying to people, it almost reminds me of sort of the indicative vote stage in the... Uh, uh, Brexit under Theresa May and that felt like that Nick Bowles moment when he just threw his hands up and said what what are we all doing here 
Um, and that was what that felt like. Just going back to that point, I do wonder, I tweeted this morning, I wonder whether the strategy yesterday was call it a confidence motion to try and get the numbers, but at the last minute, perhaps say, oh no, it wasn't, if it looked like you were going to lose it. And that really annoys me because confidence motions are fundamental to how our constitution works. And I don't think it's okay to sort of say, you know, oh, this is so important, we're treating it as a confidence motion. Oh, but if it looks like we're going to lose it, actually, maybe, you know, we won't at the last minute. And I wonder whether that added to the frustration of Wendy Morton, because in the end, she got the numbers. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's now going to be a, an investigation by the sergeant at arms, whether that included through bundling people through the lobbies, bullying, all the accusations that were flying around last night. But nonetheless, they did get the numbers. Mm. So... Um, yeah, to be undercut like that at the yeah. last minute, I can imagine, was hugely frustrating given the week that Wendy Morton must have had. Catherine, you, you mentioned the Charles Walker interview, and mm. I was going to bring that up because I think it was probably the most extraordinary um, interview I've seen of an MP just describing their own party. Mm. It was Not only was it incredibly damning and, and to hear an MP use that language to describe their own party, it was clearly emotional. Mm. He was absolutely livid and I think he used that word actually livid yeah and you know I've I, a former spad um I was speaking to this morning said that they're embarrassed by the conservative party and just don't think we deserve to be in government anymore and that's the sort of sentiment that's been put to me by people who are currently working for government and that one of the things that struck me about last night was just the emotion it felt mm. visceral what happened last night so Jack you know as someone who you care about the conservative party and you wanted to be in good health and to govern well how are you feeling just about all this now as, as sort of an, an observer from the sidelines, but someone clearly who still talks to the Conservative Party, still has friends in the Conservative Party, you know what's going on there. How, how, how are you feeling about all of this? Yeah, no, I, I agree with whoever you spoke to this morning, really. It's, it is completely embarrassing because it, this is embarrassing on multi, multiple levels, really. Um, because one, you, know, you, you work in government, you work for the Conservative Party. It's an unusual job in normal life, if I'm honest with you. And a lot of people know that's what you do and that's what you work for. And to see us sort of imploding in the way we are, um, you know, it's, it doesn't. It, it, it makes you feel like you're part of the problem, and that uh, people look on you and think, God, you know, is he a part of that? Is he making those decisions? You know, it's, it is really embarrassing. Um, but on another level, um, like the part, you know, we're one of the most successful political parties in the world. You know, we've got a history which stretches back, you know, Disraeli, Churchill, uh, Margaret Thatcher, you know, whoever, loads of really big names doing really great things. And we are now going through this situation, which, you know, everyone, if you speak to anyone in the general public, um, completely outside, you know, the Westminster bubble, the political bubble, um, they all find this absolutely, well, well, one, there's the economic impact. We were talking about this, Catherine. The economic impact is mm. actually hurting people on the ground. Um, their bills are going through the roof anyway. Um, now people can't buy houses, they can't sell their houses, uh, rent is probably going to be squeezed as a result of this. Is it, you know, so there's the real life impacts, uh, food going up in price. There's also, um, people are just sick of politics at the moment. They have been for years, I think. I generally believe this. And I think Boris Johnson got this right in many ways. He offered, he tried to offer less politics at the beginning. You know, it was all just about, you know, we'll work for you, deliver on your priorities, more police, more nurses, bread and butter stuff. Um, and obviously that went a bit of a different way. Um, but just going back to your question about the party as a whole. So me, you know, when I worked in number 10, I was working on the union, um, which is, you know, it's in the title of the party, Conservative and Unionist Party. And at the moment, I think the reality that a lot of our colleagues, my colleagues have got to wake up to is that 
are we really going to be a union party if we've only got MPs in England? Mm. You know, and that's what the polling has shown at the moment. Wales and Scotland, we get completely obliterated. So there's there's multiple levels to this, and sort of you know the anger you feel because like you come into politics, everyone has their own different interests. Some people really want to deliver NHS, health reform, or schooling, education. Um, you know, yeah, the one thing I really worked being from Wales and being a massive advocate for our union um, and the strengths and the, the qualities it brings to Wales. Um, yeah, that's all sort of dismantled, and you saw this in the week. I didn't. You do see Mark Drakeford's yes, uh, yes. outburst in the in the chamber, and I actually think that actually made Mark Drakeford look quite good. He looked like a big patriot. He was embarrassed of what was happening to our country as a whole, um, and that's and that's from someone who is you know he's he's a soft nationalist. You know, he's a he's a diet mm. coke nationalist in many mm. ways, um, and he looks like a patriot of our country. We, and we and we and we can't argue anything back because of the situation we're in. It's crazy. And I'm, I'm wary of being tangential here, but you talked about less politics. Jack, do you think when it um, we should only spend a bit of time on this? But with Keir Starmer, he's often accused of being boring, of not being a laugh a minute. But does that also mean stability, reliability? Someone who's not going to be come with baggage, who isn't going to be in your face all the time? Do you think that that idea of less politics, people just wanting politics to be a much smaller part of their lives, do you think that's almost part of the Keir Starmer offer at the moment? Yeah, this is this is actually. I'm sort of glad we come onto this area because for me, so in terms of the current climate of where we are, I personally, I think uh, Liz Truss's time is up. I think there's going to. I think we're into hours and days. Um, I'd, I'd be surprised if this lasted weeks. Um, but the, the thing I'd say to MPs, because obviously the battle for backbench MPs over the past few days has been, um, the, it's a choice. A lot of people think that if we switch over. If we, if we change leadership, one will be forced into a general election, but two, will the offer be any better? Um, my argument to a lot of people at the moment is that Labour are not doing so well in the polls because they've got a massively attractive offer. I mean, if you ask any normal person out there, I'm, I don't think they could tell you five Labour policies, if I'm honest with you. Um, so all Labour have got to do at the moment is just be a steady hand and not mess up, really, which is... You know, and Starmer seems to be doing that quite well. But if we have that sort of change of leadership, get someone there who's a bit stable, a bit more stable, a bit more uh, appealing to the wider public, um, then for me, there's a it gives the party a fighting chance. So there's two options here. It's inevitable defeat with trust or give yourself a fighting chance and see how it goes and try and crawl back seat by seat by seat, you know, make your possession, position better. That's uh, it. Uh, mm, and that feels like a nice segue into the question of um, who, if Liz, I mean, I think, most people in Westminster, the vast majority of Tory MPs, agree that it's inevitable that Liz Truss will be ousted. In terms of candidates, and Jack, you spoke about the choice facing the party between sort of obliteration and then giving yourself a fighting chance. Who realistically do you think is on the table who who could take over? I'll, 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 I'll just put on the table some names that, that aren't particularly surprising but Rishi Sunak Jack whose campaign you worked on Penny Morden Ben Wallace and Jeremy Hunt the Chancellor who many people argue is in some ways a de facto Prime Minister at the mm. moment let's let's sort of play with those names so Catherine mm. where would you like to begin in this conversation okay I'm actually gonna deal with all of them which is you know again I tweeted this morning saying I think this is like indicative votes mm. um, and I am not convinced that the party can come together to agree on anyone I think there's been sort of there's too many red lines there's too much blood in the water to mix my metaphors all over the place um, you know too many people have got beef with somebody else and also have red lines on various policy issues that 
um, it is hard to see them rally behind someone. So you take some of those, you know, Rishi Sunak, there are people within the party who are vehemently opposed to him. So even, um, you know, if he is a vote winner with the public, polls well, um, you've still got that problem of will you end up in the same situation as now where you've got large parts of the party sort of battling with you. Um, uh, Penny Morden, perhaps similar issue. Uh, she's obviously performed reasonably well uh, in front of the dispatch box, also during uh, the period after the Queen's death. But um, again, what kind of number 10 will that be? Uh, ben Wallace, I mean, a lot of people focused on him as being potentially the sort of uniting candidate because he doesn't have skin in the game thus far and has been a calm, steadying influence. You know, is he going from Ministry of Defence to being almost a wartime leader at a time that feels like that kind of level of crisis? Um I think the issue is that the party remains the same. And actually, I can't remember who it was, but there was a Conservative MP who tweeted that this morning saying she's got to go, but, capital letters, but, the party's got to find a way of uniting. And it, that means we're going to have to take some difficult issues because they are, they're still, you know, on current trajectory, going to have to find some cuts in um, the budget in order to not balance the books, but at least try and start sort of reducing the, you know, incredible state of, of the public's finances at the moment. And fracking last night, like I say, it was, you know, an extraordinary issue to end up in this place on. There's some, so many harder decisions to come. So I don't think necessarily just that one person is the whole issue, but I'm not even sure they can get to that one person. So, yeah, so it comes to you, Jack. So the the sort of noun phrase that's very popular at the moment is unity candidate. And I guess based on what Catherine's just said, is that term within the context of this Tory party an oxymoron? Is there a unity candidate? Is this Tory party damaged beyond repair? Is it irreparable, this current parliamentary Tory party? Or do you think there is someone who, 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 who could... Um, you could do that. My my honest my honest opinion is that there is no one hundred percent unity candidate. There's not someone who everyone across the board um, uh, who would sort of link up behind. If I'm honest, uh, the, the I think I think the most likely for that would be Ben Wallace. If I'm speaking, and you know I worked on Rishi's campaign, um, but I'll come to that in a second. I think the most likely for that would be Ben Wallace. But there's a huge question over whether he'll go for it. I mean, he didn't stand obviously at the beginning of the summer when he was leading the polls then. Um, so there's huge questions there. Um, and also, you know, Ben Wallace is he's an excellent defence secretary. Um, you know, very stable hand during all this, all the Ukraine crisis, among other things. But is he a is he a you know is he a national leader for other things? You know, mm. the, the prime minister unfortunately doesn't have the benefit of just concentrating on defense even though that's a huge issue you know you've got to concentrate on health the economy all these other things um it, my, my the, and going back to the list of candidates sorry just so, so there was ben wallace who i've just spoken mm. about jeremy hunt penny morden and rishi at the moment we haven't even mentioned boris johnson but we can come on to that in a second of course, how remiss um, of me yeah we can come on to that in a second but just talking about them those four for a second I think in each of these camps, right? Obviously, we're talking about sort of camps of different politics amongst the MPs. In each of these camps, there is, I think, a growing consensus of sensible heads within these camps. Mm. If that makes sense, you've got the more outspoken ones um, who are just visible and shouty, and they don't want, and I, there's causing more issues than uh, trying to solve this problem. But there are sensible ones who are actually working together now. They're sort of becoming a bit more cohesive and they're recognising that whatever the solution is, even though there is no 100% candidate, a combination of that four 
would 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 be very much welcomed. I think. Um, I mean, I, I, the only people I can think who would disagree with that would be you know Nadine Doris, and uh, she's not going to accept anyone but Boris. I don't think. So you know, we rule that out. But yeah, there is a sort of I, 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 I from me speaking to MPs, there is a sort of consensus that that is the way forward. Obviously, the big question is who leads it, and it just comes down to I, you know, I, I worked on Rishi's campaign in the summer, but. For me, and even when I take my step away from it, it seems like the sensible option. He's still popular with the public. We're currently in an economic crisis. And, you know, he had his hand on the till through the whole uh, COVID pandemic. Um, it, it, make, it makes sense. It really does make sense. But um, as Catherine said, there's people in the party who won't accept that. But, you know, look at, look at Penny Morden. Penny Morden is seen to many to be a potential risk. You know, they took a risk with Liz Truss in mm. many ways. Um, and Penny Morden seemed to be in that camp. You know, what are we actually, if we elect this, what are we buying into? Um, and Jeremy Hunt, I mean, Jeremy Hunt had a lot more time at the top table than, uh, than you know, Rishi only did two years in government. Uh, it, Jeremy Hunt's been there, thereabouts, you know, he ran against Boris. Um, and you, you're, you've only got to look at how his reversal of the mini budget uh, sort of went down. You know, you had right wing factions of the party criticizing it, saying, you know, he's a, you know, almost calling him a socialist in many ways, um, even though he was brought in to steady and do all these sort of things. But you, you see what I mean? He was already getting flack for doing that when the country was crying for it. Um, so he, for me, is the least feasible. But the, the, the only option is a combination of all the above. The, they've got to get together. They've got to have conversation and get this in place quickly. So if you'll, if you'll indulge me, Jack, Catherine and politics home listeners uh, and readers, it's not unity candidate. We're talking about a compromise candidate, a, a, coll- a coll- collaboration candidate. A collaboration candidate, mm. yeah. yeah. Well, effectively, it's the whole government of national unity idea, but just mm. from one party. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's extraordinary that they basically have to bring together a coalition government from their own party. Um, and so you have the same trade-offs that you've got there and you're going to have the same red lines working out policy positions, um, you know, suspending collective responsibility on this issue, that issue. Um, but that's really what they've got to start thinking about. And we've said this previously when talking about minority governments, you know, that governments fail to realise that you have to govern very differently when you've got no majority. But in essence, that's what the government's got to do now. It doesn't, you know... It can't easily command majority yeah. amongst its own MPs, even with this sort of paper majority mm. that it's got that, you know, was only three years old. Yeah, and so and I completely agree with that. Whenever this unity government comes together, it's got to be the party. The party has got a lot of groveling to do with the public. Yeah, a lot of groveling. Whoever whoever takes over has got to come in. They've got to apologise for the absolute chaos. They've got to promise. I saw a period of just stability, nothing radical, nothing extreme. And I think that goes to your point about they've got to, they've got to park the contentious issues. This sort of goes back to the, the fracking question earlier about how would you approach the, the vote yesterday. It's, 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 I know Labour obviously brought this forward, so it was unavoidable, but calling it, calling it a confidence vote when you have so much difficulty in the background, yeah. it just seems like a chaotic... You, you, at, the, at the very least, because it's such a contentious issue in the party and amongst the public... Um, just give the MPs a free vote on it and to say, well, the party has decided on our, our view on this. If you, yeah. if you know what I mean? That was the only way out of it, I think. But, um, but yeah, so yes, they're going to have to park the contentious issues, stability, get the economy back up and running and, you know, reapproach things in the new year when hopefully things are recovered. And a final question, but I'm gonna, there's going to be like a supplementary question to it. Where, how do you see the next hours, days, weeks playing out? And as part of that, does Boris Johnson feature in this what what do you make of the idea of a boris johnson comeback 
I mean, I think the problem is you, you have the same issues in terms of governing um, with Boris Johnson. And again, we were discussing this earlier, that there hasn't really been a sort of full reckoning of the reasons why Boris Johnson government collapsed. Um, and it wasn't over a cake. Uh, it was over, again, repeated failures in terms of handling the parliamentary party, dealing with political crises, problems of ethical standards, um, you know, uh, problems of even the Privileges Committee investigation that he's got coming up over telling truth to Parliament. None of those issues are going to go away. And, you know, we've seen public polling on this. Um, yeah, OK, he might be doing better than, than Liz Truss at the moment, but that really isn't a high bar. Uh, but again, that's not for me to say that's a sort of political choice. In terms of the coming days, weeks, I kind of just don't know. Um, you know, in normal circumstances, you would think this comes to a head. You know, you look at those moments, 1990, um, you know, even May 1940, whatever, that things just come to a head and eventually there's a decision. But in those hours before that happens, it is all very confusing. You don't know what's going on and sort of anything could go in any direction. So... Um, I really don't know. You do feel like it's got to be resolved one way or another because you just can't function as a government like this. Jack, I mean, Boris Johnson, he's still very unpopular with the public, though, isn't he? Is it, do you think that's been lost slightly in, in this Johnson sort of um, resurrection discourse that is still not massively? Uh, it's a weird one, Boris Johnson. He's a bit of an anomaly with the, the public opinion and all that sort of stuff. I, I think you put Boris Johnson in the spotlight for three weeks doing something or leading something and he'll instantly win people back over. He's just got that type of personality. I, I, you know, I, that's what I believe. But I completely echo what Catherine said. You know, I worked in this government um, that... You know, and sorry, this sounds like a bit of a rant to Nadine Doris, but Nadine Doris at the moment is out there saying... You know, we you ousted the most popular uh, prime minister we've ever had. Blah blah blah, all this sort of stuff. Um, and no one at the moment is really because because of the chaos that's been ongoing since Boris Johnson resigned. No one's really looking at the historical factor that we had an 80 seat majority, and just because of basic repeated mistakes and complacency, the government fell apart. An 80 seat majority within two and a half years fell apart. That's, that's scandalous. Um, and it, what we haven't seen yet from since uh, Boris Johnson's resignation, in many ways, is sort of contrition, you know, about that and sort of conversations about what went wrong. And, you know, he hasn't started building that basis. If he did want to restand, he hasn't started building that basis of, you know, we apologize, definitely mistakes were made um, and accepting that and talking about it. Um, what we actually see from some of Boris's supporters at the moment is they're trying to say, oh, I told you so. You shouldn't have got rid of Boris. He was so popular. But, you know, what, where do you draw the line? You know, you, you may have a really popular prime minister or a popular politician. You can't let them get away with everything. You know, we went through the, you know, the, there was obviously Dominic Cummings when he went up to uh, Barnard Castle or whatever. Then we went through Owen Pat Patterson. Then there was Party Gate, and then there was the Chris Pincher situation. Um, you know, where would you draw the line? That's the, that, would, that would be my question to those guys. Um, and in terms of the next few hours and days, uh, Adam, going back to your question, um, I think it's, it's going to be interesting because a lot of MPs today are going back to their constituencies. Uh, tomorrow they're going to be spending the day meeting their constituents. They're going to be getting an absolute earful, I imagine, about the state of things, how embarrassing it is, how chaotic it is. They've all had enough of it. Um, and you, I just think there'll be a continuous trickle 
of letters going in. I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that we were on 14 before we came on air. And by the way, caveat that probably everything we've said on here is already outdated. But you said there was 14 MPs. That's 14 public MPs. In the background, there's a lot of MPs who have put letters in um, who we don't even know about. Um, and I just think this is going to build up up until the weekend if we get that far. Um, but so, yeah, so just keep keep watching Twitter, everyone, and uh, keep watching Politics Home, if I may say, Adam. <laughs> I endorse that message wholeheartedly. <laughs> Uh, well, that's all I've got time for this week, but you can read all the latest on the big stories from Westminster at politicshome.com and keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven-day-a-week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right-hand corner of the website. Thanks to my fantastic and incredibly knowledgeable guests, Dr. Catherine Haddon and Jack Sellers. Our editor was Laura Silver, and thanks to you all again for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, reach out to us on Twitter at at Portix Home or email us via news at portixhome.com. I've been Adam Payne and this has been The Rundown.